Thank you so much for joining me on this next episode of the Scholar Homies podcast. The game is to be sold, not told conversations with the soul. I'm here with Haciel Sanchez, who is a current SDSU Aztec. And we say that a little proudly this week because the men's basketball team is in the final four, which we won't we won't we won't get into because then I feel like that's like a whole different episode. But um, <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast and being here with me today. Uh, Doctora, definitely. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. It's nice seeing you again. And yes, uh, basketball team is handling their business. Top four. That's amazing. So we'll see how that goes. Definitely plays a role there. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. We're very proud of, of the team for, for San Diego. So just tell me, um, who are you? Like, tell, tell me a little bit about your background. And I think you have an amazing story, but just kind of provide the people listening your narrative. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so my name is Haciel Sanchez. Um, I'm 34 years old. Um, I've been out from, I was recently released, and I would say about a year and some change, a year and a few months uh, from prison after doing 11 years. Um, And since then, I've just been like working like nonstop to just rebuild my life and do everything that can. All the missions, all the goals that I set for myself all uh, inside is exactly what I've been trying to carry out in this in this time out. So I'm a person who's like very motivated, very excited and just kind of going forward, meeting different people like Dr. Aveta and um. And I'm, yes, I'm motivated to meet everybody. And so thank you for that. And so we met, I want to say it was last summer now through the Semillas research team, which is a a common theme that we have on the podcast. I kind of tap into like, um, just, I feel like everyone who's kind of gone through the, the, the fellowship or has been part of the research team or just shining stars. And, um, how did you find out about that opportunity? Okay. Good question. So, Uh, a mentor of mine from a very long time ago, back when I was a teenager, right? Like this, this individual named Julio Soto is, uh, was a counselor at at Grossmont College. And so when I first, you know, finally graduated high school and went to that, um, to that college, he, um, we, like, he was always someone there to try to help me out and inspire me and kind of lead me in the right direction. And um, so this individual kept in touch to my, my whole incarceration. And when I paroled, he knew how motivated I was. And one day he he gave me an email that was the Semillas Research Fellowship Program uh, conducted by Dr. Vasquez. And of course, I was like immediately like, all right, how do I sign up? What do I do? How do I get in touch? Is that the university I want to be at? And it's the kind of work I'm trying to do. So through Julio Soto, I got the email that inter- um, got me connect with Dr. Vasquez and her amazing team. So that's how I found out about it. Nice. So then you spent last summer and you went through the, the fellowship program. And this was, I, so that, that summer was the first one. That I think that they had it in, a little bit in person. It was a, a hybrid okay. format. Yeah. Um, so how was that experience being with other scholars and other folks that were interested in, you know, in researching marginalized communities? Man, that was, that was an incredible experience because Again, I refer back to like the the prison situation, right? That's like uh, that's a big topic with me. Um, while inside is when I picked up a book and started learning and reading for the first time. And as I got further and further, um, I would come across scholars. You know, I would come across research, and I always thought, like, man, that's incredible. Like, what does it even take to get to that point? I thought they were like unreachable. Like, you can't like 
I, I have no idea what the path is to be someone who becomes published. So to think that I went from, you know, at that point, summer, I was out of maybe just a few months, five months, to being in a place where I thought there's zero access to like a, a scholar and a researcher to suddenly being in front of somebody who's doing such an amazing work and not just amazing work, but as I've, as I've been out here longer, I've noticed everything she's involved in and how much she's, man, helping people and others. And um, so through there, I got to meet like someone like yourself, like you were one of the speakers at that at the Semillas in one of the classes. So very personalized, like meeting different researchers. And it was just exactly where I needed to be. It was an incredible experience. Thank you for sharing that. And one thing that I noticed is that you all went to, um, I, I get my semesters confused. I saw mm -hmm. you at AHI, which was a conference. Did you conference last semester? I did not. Not no. okay. Um, so um, is Ahi was that your first one of your first academic conferences? Yeah, that was the first ever, okay. and even traveling, traveling. Okay. You know, because since then, right? Like I just there was restrictions, and that was my first traveling out. So, yeah. Okay, let's talk about the traveling for a second. I think I think they're they're sort of like connected. Um. So I saw you at the conference, and mm -hmm. you. In one of our interactions there, you came to a presentation that I had with um, the other scholar, homie Armando. And during the Q&A, you mentioned a couple of things. So when you say travel, I immediately think the contract beds. So for those listening that may not be aware, um, California, there, and I, of course, don't have the the, the right data that, that tells, that's going to tell me which legislation it was, but so there was a legislation that basically said they were going to reduce California's um, intake in, in count, right? Yeah. But what they did was instead of on paper, it looks like they re, they made a reduction in how many individuals were incarcerated. But what California did was they actually transferred these individuals to other states to private prisons. And so that was known as like the contract beds, right? Where they the state of California made contracts with other states to house these incarcerated individuals. And so on paper, I, cause I mentioned in, at the, at the presentation was that, you know, California isn't perfect, right? They also were cooking the books. And this is an example of how they, they made their numbers look good on paper, but in reality, this is what they did to a whole, like hundreds of people, if not thousands of people. Right. Um, so tell me, and you you mentioned that you were part of that. So mm. tell me your experience, if you don't mind about that. Of course, yeah, I, I was over here like so. It's just um, audio recording, but video. I'm smiling and laughing, thinking like, wow, like yeah, I remember when you mentioned that. Um, very impactful when you were talking about it because it immediately got me thinking of my experience to do that, right? Um, like I lived it, and like you said, there were we were as it as incarcerated individuals. We were wondering, like, wait, are we being like shuffled here? Are we hidden? Is this? Those are questions we wanted to ask. But who do you ask? How do you ask? Where? Like, you, you just couldn't. But yes, as far as I know, I don't know if it was connected to realignment um, in California. That's like a whole uh, law that passed, and they were trying to uh, move individuals into the county jails, and they were trying to work mm -hmm. with the numbers of of the population. Um, but definitely, I just recall it being COCF, COCEF, right? That's what the system was. And you would look at the Title 15 and in, in the or the California Department of Corrections, and that's where you would find in one of the subsections, COCEF. And that's what allowed them to send individuals 
in different areas that were like private prisons. And my whole journey through that was, okay, just a quick rundown. 2010, I get arrested. 2012, I get um, you know sentenced and I go to prison. And by 2013, I was already sent to to Arizona. From Arizona, I spent there for like a few months and I got shipped to Oklahoma. So very quickly, I was as far away from my family as could be. Just like I had them right here and I would see them pretty much every weekend. And I had lined up different friends and family that were going to visit. But suddenly it was okay from from Donovan to Centinella to Elo, Arizona to Norfolk, all the way in Oklahoma, where it was just like, okay, like, what do you, that's, I, I don't even know, you know, just, and that's why I would dig into learning and studying because, I mean, I was, I found like refuge in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really studying with that because that's really tough, right? Like I've, I've been to Donovan to visit family members. So I've been inside before a few times actually in Donovan. And so, and then even down in Imperial Valley, right? So I've, I've been to Centinella as well to visit family members. Um, And then I just resonate because I also currently have a cousin incarcerated in Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. Although that's that's different. He wasn't part of um his, he got a, he picked up a new charge in Arizona. But I just, you know, that's that's just really heavy because I, I think, again, on paper, it's also like humanizing these experiences, right? Like on paper, you see statistics and you see numbers of this movement happening. But then when you don't really ever get the story behind the, the numbers, right, or that these are real lives that you're impacting. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about when you came back to California by any chance and then you went back to school were you did you have residency issues with financial aid because were you considered a like out of state were they trying to um charge you out of state tuition essentially okay uh so i came back in i would say 2015 from the out of state program because mm-hmm. another law changed and now because otherwise had this this little ruling had not changed i would have stayed there indefinitely for the remainder of my term Okay. Um, but something changed. I dropped level and they shipped me back to California in 2015. And because I was always taking correspondence courses, like mm-hmm. I was from the very start, even from like 2013, I made sure like, okay, California resident, a uh, coastline community college. So I kept my correspondence going. So when I came back in 2015, I really did not encounter anything related to um, uh, them trying to uh, put me as some type of out of state um, the resident, you know, because I always made sure to put on the form, like, okay, California, 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 mm-hmm. though that was a concern, but I just kind of, I guess, made the right choice, by just putting that on that information there. And okay. plus I continued with coastline once I came back. So it was like the same institution from the start. Mm-hmm. How did you find out about coastline and where, where, at what, in, at what institution, I don't even want to say institution, like what, which facility did you find out about coastline? Uh, at Donovan, at because Donovan. that's like that's one of the things I told, and it's written on the transcripts, right? When when I got sentenced, I just told the judge, just send me somewhere I could do, you know, start my college education. You know, like, there's so many so many things that were said there, but that was one of the things that I asked for. Please just send me somewhere where I can. So as soon as I got there, I just started like quote unquote like knocking on doors, like, hey, where do I find this? How do I how do I get involved? And that's the one they recommended among others, but Coastline I think was the most user friendly. Okay. And then tell us about that. Like, um, it's through correspondence. So it's all through mail. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you find, 
it did you find any like gaps in in like in your subject areas was and I'm, I'm wondering because I'm thinking about lockdowns too right that happened so I know that there's mm -hmm. some institutions like some community colleges go inside mm -hmm. to teach but then there's so many barriers that they face right they can't take so many they can't take certain things um if there's a lockdown they can't go in at all and then it just disrupts the whole learning right like the whole process because so for correspondence and in that case um you don't have that but then you also don't have that face-to-face -face interaction or even a virtual interaction or really any, you don't have really any other instruction. It's all self-taught, I'm assuming, right? Yes, you just get like a, what was it? Uh, like a handbook uh -huh. that pretty much in included the syllabus, included the calendars and the assignments of which you had to do at a certain pace. And so okay. that's that's what you would see when you have to buy Scantrons and in your books. So that's what my expenses were. You know, like I would just ask family, like, look, just help me out with these book, this book or these two books for this quarter, you know, and that's how I was you know, funding my education. And yeah, but the huge difference between, you know, correspondence and in, and in person that but that came about a little bit down the line, like in 16 or 17, I believe, I guess some law passed might be the second chance program. So things went down the pipeline right. mm -hmm. that eventually I had um, professors inside, which was this yeah, huge contrast. To have somebody there, a person who's willing to you know, teach you and to bring the torch of enlightenment to a place where, like, pretty much whole society has just, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to call it too much, like, but like in a way, like, you know, relegated, forgotten, like that's it, you're, you're done. And to have these people come in, mm -hmm. no, I mean, I think it's really valid, right? Like, it's discarded. Um, it's yeah, it's definitely a community that's like out of sight, out of mind, right? Like, it's it's very yeah. silent. So it's it's there is definitely like a stigma and stereotype and a shame. I think that, that, um, that surrounds this community. And so, and I think that goes back to talking about it openly. Right. And, um, I think of the numbers with mass incarceration, right? Like there's millions of people who've been impacted by mass incarceration mm -hmm. in different ways. And then I think of that. And I also think of how, you could look in a room of a hundred people and what is the percentages that somebody has been touched, but somehow either they've been incarcerated or their system impacted mm -hmm. in some form. Right. They, I feel like yeah. it, there's just no way around it. Looking at the numbers that of mass incarceration is just a matter of like, are we speaking about it or not? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, and sometimes I don't even ask like when I'm in, I'm in a room, I don't want to ask, you know, to kind of call anybody out but I I almost want to say like to yourself like you know do you know somebody who's been impacted or have you you know yeah because there's just there's just no I just feel like there's just no way that not all of us or somehow know somebody who's who's been incarcerated so then how did we just unpack that and you know face it be transparent with our our history as a nation I think mm -hmm. that about mass incarceration in general um so then we can you know, work towards re-entry re and work towards, um, you know, reducing recidivism and things like that. Um, so back to the conference, that was your first time to travel. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your experience and how, how that was and, and just traveling, right? Of course. Uh, so let me see just uh, real quick before I answer that, because that's an amazing, uh, 
incredible experience. I mean, I see, I'm pre, maybe you've seen the Instagram post I made about it. I'm, I learned how to do Instagram posts and things like that since I've been out. But yeah, like the whole flight, the, the lights showing up, the people, I did not want to leave Las Vegas, you know, so it was just because the environment, everybody there, meeting all these scholars, people, movers, movers and shakers. Anyway, it was just incredible. But I just, as you were talking about it, and I kind of, it was sinking in a little bit about um, how do we face, you know, the mass incarceration. So you see how when you asked me in the beginning of this interview, it was like, okay, so tell me about yourself. And I immediately went and started talking about like prison, right? My incarceration. Like I look back in moments like that. It's like, dude, like you see that the first thing or your identity was mm -hmm. that, like that was unintentional. Like other the things that I've been doing since I got out was, okay, SDSU Aztec, you know, like I started my own business. I got my truck driver's license, you know, like within a few months, I was learning how to parallel park a huge semi after not being behind the wheels to forever. Um, I like music. I like creating music, uh, I like connecting with, you know, just making real connections. Um, and I look forward to uh, conducting research, you know, so all these other things that are like maybe were born in there or something, right? Or kind of just developed in there. But those are other things that lead me that that's my personality. But somehow I still made that connection. That was the main thing I mentioned. Like, that's kind of off for me. That may reminds me like that. We need to pay attention because, you know, I'm 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 doing reentry right now. You know, mm -hmm. I've been out a year and some change. So I'm kind of still adjustment. I, I still need that community. I still need that. People like you, Dr. Vasquez, to talk about certain things because I'm not even aware that I, you know, have certain things that might be there, right? Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, this is like healthy. <laughs> Um, and cathartic but let me see um so my experience in in las vegas and the traveling yeah it's just can you imagine you know like after such a long time and just thinking like immediately getting off parole within a month or two i was already on a plane heading somewhere else to learn about you know research and just it, it's just unex unexplainable just um yeah i'm thinking thank you for sharing that i also think it's part of like as you continue to develop your scholar identity, right? And then I think you'll you'll find a way to incorporate that in your introduction, right? I think it's, yeah. um, but tell me, so you, you're a transfer student and you just yes. transferred. I feel like this, this year has gone so fast, but you just transferred in fall. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about your experience in that and how just, I guess, being a community college student, being a transfer student, and now at a four-year like, what has your experience been like? Okay, so all my I, all my time in community college, or the majority of it, was spent while incarcerated. So definitely a huge contrast coming out and stepping onto San Diego State University, which was somewhere where, like I've shared with others, I, I once lost, right? Like I went there before being incarcerated in 2010. I was invited to crash an English course just to see how, you know, how it's done, right, at, at the four-year university, San Diego State. And I got there and I couldn't have felt more out of place in that class because the professor went on and started reading off the syllabus and immediately I didn't understand like two words. I'm like, what the, what, what did she say? Right. She asked the question and everybody rose their hand and I was like, oh, yeah, I can't, can't contribute anything. So like, I, I mean, I felt like I did not fit in. I did not, I do not belong here. So in, in a way that's what led to like, or, or <clears throat> the only way I connect with everybody is in, in another way, like we're, we go out partying and that sense where we all have a cool like camaraderie but when it comes to academics we're, we're not on the same stage 
So that's what kind of compelled me to go in a different direction with my life back then. And that's why I made those decisions. So uh, SDSU in particular has holds a big uh, part in my life because it is the place where I once lost, like I said. And now I feel I came back to try to uh, win in a place where, you know, get that victory. So it's very, very special for me, like coming in there, just being at the campus itself and connecting, connecting with other students and now being able to say like, yeah, we we're on there. We're academics. Like, what, what do we got? What's the topic? Like, what are we doing? And um, and and more interestingly, so how, how some people come to me, you know, like they ask me about certain things and not knowing that my background is what it is, you know. So, yeah, it's it, it's an incredible experience. And I'm definitely very involved with the university, like uh, the Lavin Entrepreneurship Program the zip launch program, um, a project rebound. So I'm one of those students that just went all the way in to get that full college experience. I love that. I love that you're involved and that you have hopefully have found community, right? Through project rebound and through, um, through the lab and center, which is, I think a, a great resource for, for any students in that field. Um, I kind of glossed over, but I want to go back to the conference real quickly. Um, because another thing that you mentioned that you brought up, and I, I thought our conversation that we had during the presentation um, was was just so enlightening. And I, I shared offline that I've been thinking about it ever since you said it. <laughs> but you had mentioned, so in this presentation at the end, you'd mentioned um, that this is basically you, you, oh gosh, how am I going to paraphrase it? Um, yeah. That there's, or do you, do you want, do you recall and do you, do you think you could probably say it better? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so during your, during your presentation, um, there was moments, like I said, many things were mentioned, right? That got me thinking of my time when I was inside. And one of those was that kind of just took me out was the fact that you are, the people we would think about who who care about us inside, right? You're the researcher outside. You would just, you hear of these stories like, oh yeah, this, this person does this, does that, and is moving, doing everything they can. Um, and I, 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 it was, it was surreal to think that I went from that position to being in front of the person who cares for us, who's doing the, the legwork, the, the hard work and putting these presentations together and reaching out and doing all this, like building this community, like it, that 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 shift to from being in, inside a cell, reading about it, to being in here and seeing the person. And that's the thing is like, so you, like you said, you have family members in there. And so I, I told you, that's the one that stuck out for me too. It's like, I met your cousin, not in that sense, like your direct cousin, but I've met those who were in there who would say, oh, my sister's doing this. Or my, you know, my family members, one of those, like, so you would hear and you would hear their excitement. So I was like, I met the person on the other side of this, which was the person who was incarcerated, who had somebody out there who was doing this amazing work. And definitely like, a, yeah, huge connection there. Like, I don't know, it was a profound moment to think about it. Yeah, it was really a full circle moment and really powerful. And I was, when, when you said that, I was just really stuck by that, right? Because <laughs> I mentioned, you know, my cousin in Arizona and what's best what's kind of like fascinating is probably this time last year I was at CSEC which is the community college conference that was in Arizona and um at the time he had lived there he was going through his trial and we knew that he he pretty much had like two weeks to, to turn himself in mm -hmm. and so um 
in that time, I was coming into town and it was ironically before anything had happened, I was already knew I was set to go to Arizona for the conference. And I was like, we're linking up, you know, we'll, we'll go to dinner or whatever after my presentations and, you know, hang, come hang out. Same thing, you know, how you see how we do it at the conferences, right? After yeah. the after the presentations, we hang out. And so he, um, in between that time, he caught a case and he essentially took the plea. Mm-hmm. And in that, I think we were kind of lucky that he had like kind of like a two weeks, right, to wrap things up, um, to to kind of get rid of his car, to leave his job. Like he mm-hmm. he he has a whole life that he had to kind of put on hold, right, to, to yeah. serve his sentence. And so um, he came to visit me at, at the conference and he was with, you know, Dr. V met him, like a lot of the homies met him, um, although they didn't know that he had a that it was basically like a hello and a goodbye right yeah mm-hmm. they didn't know that piece um and I, I didn't I don't know why but I just didn't feel like sharing it I just needed um to see my cousin and to and, and embrace the moment enjoy the moment and then I knew that when we said goodbye like it was it was more than just like a goodbye um and so then after the fact you know it was an emotional goodbye and then so then everyone was like well what's going on so I had to I had, then I had to tell him like you know he's he's going away for a little bit and so it's just really it's just so it's when you said that and it's it, it's kind of like kind of coming also maybe like full circle for me too and thinking of like the work that we're doing and that it is also emotional you know it, it's hard right to do this work I think from my perspective because um not too many I don't know sometimes sometimes it depends on the audience some audiences may care right and may may empathize and may really want to make changes and incorporate you know the the recommendations I have right for them and then you definitely have some other folks who are just not not about it they don't want to hear it they um for whatever reasons I feel like they they have the stereotype against this community or I, I like to famously say, like, you got to abolish the cop in your head first, right? Because <laughs> how can you do the work if you are having these conscious or unconscious thoughts o- over another human first? Like, you got to you got to do the inner work first, and then you can help people. Um, so I just thank you for for that, because it really, it really hit in a way that I had been thinking about it for a really long time. Um, so and I just wanted, that's, I you know, really, really, but big reason why I wanted you on the podcast was just to share that other story that I don't think we hear like I know I had never heard that before and I thought it's really important to highlight like okay you know one you know you're formerly incarcerated you know scholar you're you're doing amazing things at SDSU and you are you know a great example and you know someone that we really need to highlight and kind of elevate right um in addition to coming from Simias and all of that so thank you for that. Um, what does the game is to be told, not sold mean to you? Uh, good question. Good question. Uh, game not to be sold. Sold, not told? Yeah. Game. Okay. Well, the game is to be told, not sold. Told, not sold. Okay, so that's the the inversion um, of, the, of the original quote. And the original quote immediately makes, immediately makes me think of... Uh, conducts and certain hustles that you know I particularly safeguarded so that you know you could benefit the most out of right um 
in certain contexts, but outside of that context or how you could like, um, let's see, uh, extract or distill what it's saying there in, 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 an, inverted, in an inverted way is um, pretty much what what is gained the knowledge or the skills or the methods, right? That's uh, the game. And it's to be told is because you want to share it. You want to um, expand the knowledge. You want to increase the knowledge. You want to share the knowledge with their, with others um, instead of kind of just keeping it back, you know, and and it's 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 inclusivity versus exclusivity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's let's include everybody. Let's let's all grow together versus these are my resources. Those are your resources. So when you talk about um let it be told not told that's what it is it's like an idea of like an open source um and it kind of reminds me of like uh um what i what i heard in in those circles right and everywhere everybody i've been meeting is uh like lift as you climb you know so that's kind of the intent behind uh something like that philosophy you just mentioned like uh uh, told not sold Thank you for that. And then my follow-up question would be, what is a scholar homie to you? A scholar homie? <laughs> okay, este. Okay, so um so you got the scholar, you got the individual who uh or the person who is, you know, just is you know, pursuing education um what what whatever doesn't matter what stage you're clear climbing, you're going you're pursuing education and to the point there's an element of research. So like creating knowledge, um, developing knowledge, looking into filling the gaps. So that's where the scholar comes in, right? Scholar, um, I would say, and homie was, <laughs> I can't think, I think about camarada, you know, it's your, your compa, it's your, it's your, that person. And, and when it comes to a friend or a homie in that regard, I would say is um, someone who has your best interest and, and acts in your best interest, you know, cares and acts in your best interest first. So that's what I would say is like a true friend, a true homie, true camarada would do that. So and then scholar I, homie. I'm <laughs> curious, and I think, you know, you're probably early on in your scholar journey. Have you felt like you've found any scholar homies yet or? Oh, without a doubt. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Okay, good. That's comforting to know. Yes, I mean, I include you in there. You know, oh, so good. I include you in there for sure. I mean, I went to, uh, uh, I went to the Ahi, and I went your your research partner Armando. You know, like absolutely compadre right there, homie. So I've definitely been in touch with them. So and I, I can't wait to connect with him again. Um, Oscar Duran, you know, just yes. the research to me as program. That's another one. Um, can't wait. Like I, you know, I send him text messages every now and then. Um, Doctora Vasquez. I mean, tenemos a Angel, tenemos a Naomi, tenemos a, I feel definitely, you know, like Lawson, all these individuals that I've met through this this program and in this this path that I'm like, yeah, I would definitely consider them. I feel like I could reach out to him in that regard as a homie and especially as a scholar. You know? I love that. I'm so glad that you that you found community because I think that's so important in um in navigating higher ed in these spaces, right? Like um. So I'm, I'm I'm happy for you for that, and that's that's good. That's comforting to know. Um, tell me a little bit about your positionality, and then I guess not. I 
so you mentioned that you, you know, you're interested in research. Um, and right now you're, I would, you know, you're a student scholar, but tell me about how your positionality informs your work. Positionality informs my work. Okay. So being previously incarcerated, that's, that's number one, right. Um, and what I'm deciding to focus on, um, and business administration, accounting, um, and also when it comes to like, um, entertainment and music creation, creativity. So the, all those three elements form my posi positionality in the research that I'm trying to do, which is looking into fiscal policy and that intersection with criminal justice, you know, and specifically re rehabilitation. So how are these funds and these resources being allocated and comparably, like how, how are they benefiting or not benefiting or how can they be better used to improve and um, um, recidivism rates, right? Like reduce recidivism. So that's what informs my, and and I believe that it has to do with connection to your community. And one of those ways is, you know, having success in your community, having one way is like entrepreneurship. You go and you set roots in your community by being a business owner, um, or also just um, when it comes to your artistic side, um, intellectual property, right? Having some individuals might not have property, just legitimately, you know, they just work. So to, for someone who's been incarcerated, who is a creative thinker, to finally say, look, I have all these things um, that are um, part of my creativity. I wrote a book. I know how to paint. I know how to do this type of art. I like to create music. All that to give them a connection back in society. So that's my positionality. That's what I bring to the table. And that's how I would connect to my research into trying to cultivate that, um, what is it, the capital that they already have and kind of using that to connect back to society and reduce recidivism. So tell me about your business that you had because you're an entrepreneur. Okay, so yes, I do have, it's, it's called SD360. And that is, a um, right now that's the first venture and it's a, it's pretty much a 360 photo booth, which I don't know if you know, but that's like a platform and it has an arm that rotates around the platform. So while people get on there, it just goes and just takes these awesome videos and I have like these overlays on there. And it just, it, it pretty much, it definitely does like, um, adds to the event, if not kind of makes the event, you know, people are there to eat, drink, socialize. And then what do you do? You know, so the 360 photo booth is something that people jump on and have some cool memory that they could share, but I'm using it on also, like I created a spreadsheet to target different. Um, I want to focus on the fitness side. So I'm trying to use this, this model, this spinning uh, camera to capture everybody who spends so much time working on their physique. They want to highlight every single area, right? Like the, uh, shoulders anything so definitely that's that's what I'm going with uh, with that business there first business I think that's fascinating and I I'm interested about the music aspect now so like let's mm -hmm. see how we can like triangulate this so tell me about your passion gotcha. for music okay so I love music right so while incarcerated oh okay one of the benefits of being in COSIF I guess meaning out of state all the way in Oklahoma is that Oklahoma you were able to buy uh certain instruments and I was able to buy a keyboard out there and luckily was able to bring it back. So I was one of the very few in prison who had a keyboard. And I would, you know, I started learning how to play with both hands. I started creating beats, right? And um, certain songs that don't, you don't really hear like EDM songs in prison. So I had to create the songs that I, the sounds that I wanted to hear. And what was that, what was so great about it is that you should see how it would change when I would take out the keyboard in the day room everybody different ethnicities doesn't matter what or whatever little thing that's going on would gather 
you know, so I got to witness music bringing people together, like in, in reality, in one of the places that you might not see that. Right. So and and but at the same time, I got to see the talent that a lot of people have. And so that's where music comes in. And that's where to kind of segue. Uh, one of the things I'm going to do is uh, create a nonprofit called Impossible Me with another individual who's a pretty uh, known DJ in San Diego, also formerly incarcerated. And the whole point is to go back into the institutions to kind of, you know, foster that creativity, get things copywritten. What do we got to do to bring that back? This is your work. This is this is your connection to your community, this connection to your work. So that's how that circles in. That is so dope. Just probably like a couple of days ago, um, there's a DJ, Spinnerita, who I know from Twitch and like, you know, she's, She's one of the, I feel like one, she's a female DJ, which we, we don't see all the time. And then she also spins yeah. on vinyl, right? Which we still don't, we don't nice. really see all the time. But I, she just posted about, um, she has, I guess this last semester has been going inside of Norco and she's been like oh, co-teaching nice. this music class. And I think that's amazing because um, that's awesome. That's just, it, it's just, I feel like any light that we can shine inside is is just beneficial. Uh, yeah, so that that's that's pretty incredible. And I and again, I've been on the other side of that. There was someone who would come in at, uh, at one of the institutions I was at, and it was like the best thing. Like, oh man, how do I sign up for that? So the fact that she's doing that again, another round of applause. Yeah. To to someone who's bringing that in there because we need that. You know, it's just too gray in there. You know, so to come and bring that vibrancy and music and excitement, like, yeah. What do you mm -hmm. say to someone who's listening who maybe doesn't understand why this is important, right? That we don't forget about folks that are incarcerated and why we need to bring light. Like, and when I say that, I say it like in a very, like, a, uh, you know, metaphoric type of sense, right? Why do we need to bring light inside? Okay, um, to think, to give a metaphorical answer, it's kind of tough because I immediately went into like the like the hard facts of it. You know, I'm thinking like, one, why do you need to bring education? Why do you need to bring all this in there, right? It's because, it's, one, it's costing. So it's costing, what, like $14 billion to maintain the system. And it, the success rate is, what, like 14% will, will not recidivate in, like, what, six, seven years or something like that. I need to refresh my numbers. Mm -hmm. But so that's the success rate of this system right now. You know, what if your student would give you, would turn in a paper and it has a 14%? You didn't even, did you try? You know, like, so that's kind of what I see. And we could put that responsibility on the individual. Yeah, of course, that person did that. But it's also placed on the institution. Like, we pay you this money so you could rehabilitate individuals. So it's like I think about introducing these, you know, bringing these education in there, um, and bringing these musical things to the so that the people connect with their community, and again reduce recidivism. Right, that's the whole goal. By introducing this, um, it, it gets me thinking of we're all going to come out. Or hold on, let me say that again. For individuals who are when people are returning into society from prison. Um, they're going to be leaders either in the positive sense, you know, or, you know, influence in a, in a sense that, you know, it's not the best direction for certain individuals. 
So by investing, you kind of turn the tide a little bit more towards getting uh, leaders that are going to be positive outside. And so that's the goal. You know, you, you get them out, they have changed and and they kind of propagate that and, and that gets diffused through their community. So by doing that is by investing in in, in education and systems like that, you were going to have in the, the positive result of individuals coming out and continuing the positive work, which, you know, diffuses throughout society. That's what we want. You know, that's the main reason I would say it's in everybody's best interest. It is. I, I completely agree with you. I'm thinking about, tell me if my assumptions are wrong. Mm -hmm. So we have some institutions, some higher, like community colleges that go inside prisons and teach and whatnot. And then, but we have maybe some pushback or some, you know, maybe it's the stereotypes or ideology. Do you think that there's any of that in the guards? Um, And I say this from a couple of, of stories that I hear of, what my of the friends that go that I know that go inside to teach right where okay their class starts let's just say at 5 p.m the guards won't even call out the students until like 5 20 or all of a sudden they have to do it like there's just they prolong and what they're doing is eating into class time essentially right so then by the time people get out and get to class they've already missed 40 minutes of instruction time um and so do you see and being, being on the inside, like, did you have any experience with that? Or what, what were you, like, I guess, what is your opinion on that? Oh, yes. Well, definitely experienced that. And without a doubt, that exists. I would have to say, um, I always like to kind of break it into like three categories, right? Whether inmate or officer, it's like you have those who are progressive, those who are in the middle, and those who really are like, like, I'm not going to do anything. I, okay. I'm completely against your system, right? Yeah. So, for those, you have a few progressives that are the cool ones, quote unquote, that, oh, you got your thing, cool, let me lock up. You got your stuff, you got everything, like, cool, mm -hmm. man, head out, like, I got you, and you're good to class. But that's kind of the 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 rarity, you know, and, and most times it's just like um, institutional priorities override anything else. So right now there's no movement or we're not done doing this or that. Good luck. We'll, we'll open the door when we open the door. So that definitely would lead to just you're missing um class you're missing um it's just arriving late or whatever that may be and but i know that also by talking to professors that they they also enc encounter that where they just uh they're at, they're at the sally port waiting for 20 to 30 minutes just to be able to get in right. you know so that's that's what i feel like that's one of the most that's more hardcore there because you got the person who's doing this out of their the kindness of their heart or you know they're trying to it's a movement it's a it's hard work right because they could be making this kind of kind of money or or elsewhere but they decide to go into an institution to do this and so that that's i feel like that's a very direct attempt to try to discourage those who are willing to kind of go through that it's like oh here you go here, yeah good luck you know or like searching or side eyes or comments like very discouraging i feel like that's that's tar that's targeted <laughs> Yeah, but I mean that might be my bias, right? But it's just like I feel like nah, like that's institution that uh, the system doing its thing very directly through agents, you know. Yeah, now I, you I, have to be delegated. That reminds me of um like community colleges, like back in not even like in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, you know, where they would have students come to enroll, and the person helping them enroll or supposed to quote unquote helping them 
would doubt that the student wasn't ready, right? So what they would do is call, like time them out, like call them off. So we're going to basically like send them on a goose chase so that they get discouraged and then just mm -hmm. don't end up enrolling, right? So I feel mm -hmm. like that's the call out period that you see. But you have like the faculty or those trying to go inside to help and the guards are just essentially cooling them off. Like, okay, you're coming in too hot. We're going to let you time out for a <laughs> yeah. second. And then, yeah. and then when we feel like you're ready, then you can come in. Yeah, that's not cool. Yes. But but I, I wanted to get your experience from the inside. Like, you know, because I, again, like, and I think this is a really cool conversation to have because I don't know that we have this, right? Like on the outside, we know what we, what we kind of assume or what we've experienced from our lens, but it's like, well, what is, what does that look like on the inside? Like, are y'all seeing the same thing we're seeing? Um, are those the same institutional agents that are creating gate, like, you know, are they gatekeeping? Like what, what is that? And, you know, that's probably, you know, something next to look into, right? Like how we know, we know what the barriers are outside on, at our college institutions, right? When it comes to that, but like, what is the situation inside? So I, I was just curious on that. Um, I wanted to be mindful of time. So I, there's a little portion of the podcast where I ask, um, two questions like a, this or that, and you just pick one and it's more for fun. Um, and we always start with the first one, which is food because I'm always forever homesick. <laughs> so, um, think, let's think San Diego. So carnes on the fries or roll tacos. Oof. Um, I have to go carnes on the fries. Okay. Yeah. Um, the ocean or mountains? Ocean. Ocean. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's see. San Diego men's basketball team or the Padres? Oh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually opening day, too. It's actually the Padres opening day now that I think about it. Okay. No, well, it's going to have to be the, the uh, Aztecs. The Aztecs. Sorry, okay. sorry Padres. Yeah. yeah. Aztecs. Yeah. Same, same. <laughs> um, okay, and let's think musically. Um, okay, so EDM or um, hip hop? I go through my phases, but lately I'm gonna have to go with the EDM. Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah. And then for those listening, any last words that you would like them to leave with? Oh, so any last words for them? Yeah, that you would like just for anyone listening, what, what would you like them to know? Um, well, first, thank you for, for tuning in, um, uh, for supporting programs like this. And I would say that, um, in any way or way that you might be contributing or digging to contributing or helping or just by just listening, participating, it, it definitely does, um, a big part of it comes to, it falls on like people like me, like what you do directly assist somebody like myself, who's trying to change and do positive things and kind of promote that positivity and continue that pay it forward so what you're doing very directly uh, helps and assists someone like myself so I just want to thank you for that and to continue doing that thank you I really appreciate that um yeah that that really means a lot because this work is um it's heavy right it's, it's a heavy lift um and sometimes we don't see it feels like we don't see any progress being made because this you know we're we're trying to lift a huge boulder. So I appreciate that. And I think that's also why it's so important to get the, the, to get the story right behind the person, because um, we already know what the stats say and the numbers say, but there, again, there's, there's people behind that. So thank you for that. Of um, course. Okay. So thank you for listening. We'll catch everyone on the next episode. Um, so stay tuned.